You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. It's a great pleasure to be on this BJSM podcast with Professor Harm Kuipers. Harm is Emeritus Professor at the Department of Movement Scientists at the University of Maastricht. He was Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Sports Medicine, a member of the Medical Commission of the IOC, a member of the List um, Committee of the WADA, and he is currently still the Medical Advisor of the International Skating Union. He's actually just returned from a skiing holiday himself. And Harm is author and co-author of more than 100 scientific publications, mainly on exercise physiology, and recently wrote his autobiography, Starting on Two Left Skates. Well, you wouldn't think that he started on two skates because he's a former elite athlete and became world-around speed skating champion in 1975. Harm, uh, thank you for joining us on this BDSM podcast. Yeah, okay, fine, thank you. And it's about 30 years ago that I interviewed you for the first time, and that time we talked about the meaning of sport. And I want to ask you, what does sport and exercise mean to you now, and has this meaning changed over the years? Well, exercise is, for me, a part of life. Uh, if I miss exercise, I don't feel well. And, um, well, exercise is also, I think, an important way for general population to keep healthy. Uh, it's a very cheap, easy, accessible way of uh, improving health. And, well, unfortunately, we see a decline in, in physical activity in, in, in the general population. And also from my, my work, well, part of the job was to stimulate physical exercise to the general population. And, um, well, because it's a very easy, cheap way uh, to help improve health and also against uh, diseases, obesity, osteoporosis. Uh, well, now I'm currently, I'm, I'm a patient, I'm suffering from cancer. And so I had treatments, uh, hormone therapy, radiation, chemo, and I kept uh, being physically active, and it also helped me because uh, still currently I'm still well relatively fit, and I think it's also thanks to the to my physical activity that I still um, I, I don't have problem with uh, too much fatigue etc. So physical activity I think is is very important, not only in my life but it should be in everybody's life. You mentioned that you try to stimulate that uh, through your work. Um... Can you give us a, an example of how you stimulated physical activity in the population through your work? Well, I, I have been working at the Department of Movement Sciences, so my basic work was uh, science in physical activity. So our main uh, theme was how important is physical activity to keep people healthy? And um, let's say communication to the general public, well, it was not basically part of the job, but I tried to... Uh, take every opportunity that was given to me by, by media to promote physical activity by writing articles, etc. I took every opportunity to stimulate physical activity. And, well, I have to say that it's a little disappointing that uh, that message is not conveyed um, very easily because, well, in people who don't exercise, well, they are not... Uh, eager usually to start exercising because with exercise, well, you suffer, you get, you start to sweat, it doesn't feel pleasant, so you have to go through a certain initial phase to really enjoy physical activity. So therefore, also I I try to stimulate that physical activity does not mean that you have to run marathons, 
but just regular uh, everyday uh, activity, like like walking for let's say thirty forty minutes, just walking or just biking recreationally. That's also physical activity, and that's much easier to do than than running a marathon. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because you recently received uh, an award from the Netherlands Association of Sports Medicine. And I asked you the same question, what would you recommend to the audience? And it was surprising how how few uh, of the sports physicians were exercising. How do you think you can get doctors in gear? Yeah, well, I think you just point to the problem. Um, physical activity by itself is usually not rewarding to most people um, because you, you sweat, you, you well, you, you, you're, you get breathing, etc., and I was even a little bit disappointed uh, that during that sports conference with sports physicians that uh, not more people were really physically active. So I, I would think um, when, when you uh, are a sports physician, well, you've given a good example to your patients or clients and you exercise yourself. And unfortunately, that's not always the case. So that's also one of the biggest problems. As I said, physical activity is, is a very cheap way uh, against many diseases to feel better. But unfortunately, only very few people really are able to push themselves to do the exercise regularly. Well, my first experience with uh, promoting exercise was when I was a medical student during an internship. Um, we were training people after a heart cardiac infarction and in a clinic those people trained and well they were able even to perform better than they uh, were used to before their infarction so the head of the department who, who stimulated that program was very enthusiastic and he even uh, enabled the people to buy a cycle ergometer a stationary bicycle ergometer because they could continue exercising at home and he was very disappointed, I remember, that after six months when they came back for a review, that only that, let's say, physical condition uh, dropped back to initial levels and that very few people exercised. And he didn't understand. And then I told him, well, I have an idea uh, why this, is, this happens. Because biking on a stationary bike is very boring. And he didn't, reali he didn't realize it. So... Uh, that was my first experience with how, how difficult it is for people to keep exercising. So you st when you stimulate exercise, well, the, the thing I really don't want to, uh, stim to stimulate or recommend is uh, buy a stationary bike because that's <laughs> very boring. But go outside, just, just walk for 30 or 40 minutes outside. Uh, take a normal bike and, and ride uh, 10, 15 kilometers uh, easily. That's a much better and easier way to exercise. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great example. And I recently heard from um, cardiac rehabilitation where they use tennis, which is rather new. So I can, yeah, I can understand your example. And let us let us move a little bit because I'm sure the audience would uh, would like to hear many things about your life. And you have been the editor of the International Journal of Sports Medicine from 1989 till 2000. And yes. I was just wondering also to learn a little bit myself. What did you like best about being an editor, and what was the the worst part or the most difficult part? Well, to start with the worst part, um, <laughs> reviewers who didn't do their job uh, 
in, in due time. So pushing reviewers to review a paper and return it. Uh, that was the worst part. But uh, fortunately, well, I, I selected my reviewers and my re review uh, uh, population. So when I had a bad experience with someone, well, I tried a second time, but the third time, if it was a bad experience again, I didn't uh, introduce him a third time. So I, I didn't have too much problems with, uh, with the lazy reviewers. Uh, well, the fun part, I liked the contact with, with reviewers uh, to get up to date with science because you got uh, you received the, the newest uh, scientific uh, publications firsthand. That's what I liked. Um, well, what I what my normal procedure was is when I I got a, a paper a manuscript I first read it myself I more, more or less scanned it uh, in the, the summary is it clear is there a clear purpose I read the introduction is it clear is there a clear purpose statement. Well, if that was not the case, I did not want to bother reviewers, and I sent uh, it back directly to the uh, to the authors with a letter explaining why I returned it and that they should review, etc. But uh, once I thought, well, this is worth to send to a reviewer, I sent it to a reviewer, and um, to to two reviewers, of course, uh, or sometimes even three, um, and well. Also, at the end, I also compared uh, the comments, and I, I learned a lot. I learned it was a very rewarding experience to to read all the review comments, and uh, so I, it was a very. I, I liked the job. It was a rewarding job, and I learned a lot. And and looking back, what is the most exciting article that you published yourself? Well, um, my my main um, drive in the research was fun. I just liked it. I liked to, to explore new things. Well, my first publication of, let's say, any value, of some value, was a publication that I published on muscle damage. I think I was one of the first, not the very first, but one of the first people who demonstrated in, in rats that muscle, uh, that exercise could lead to damage to the myofibrils. And I was one of the first who published a paper on that, that it was not the whole muscle fiber, but a segment in the muscle fiber that was damaged. And, well, that was a real, uh, was a good publication. Um, it also introduced me on the Congress to all the people who are working in that field, so on the muscle damage. Another uh, exciting study and also publication was an overtraining study in racehorses. So one day, uh, a veterinarian came to me and said, well, he uh, had um, a couple of horses paid by the by the government, but he didn't have research plans. Uh, well, what uh, with horses was a problem? Well, overtraining and overtraining was a big problem. So, oh, well, that's the same in people. So in, no, in, 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 in a few hours, we had a research plan, and we started the study training racehorses completely on the treadmill. So everything was controlled. Um, we took blood samples, uh, urine samples, <clears throat> uh, muscle biopsies, and um, well, at the end we overtrained the horses, and um, well, we also published that. That was one of the most most exciting studies, uh, and even now I see now and then that is referred to those papers from from those years. Another important study, I think, um, what was exciting 
and um, well, to my surprise, has not been referred to too much, is that I um, demonstrated that during exercise, endurance trained people can resynthesize glycogen in the inactive muscle fibers. So, for instance, in, in uh, recycling, they have to bike for about 200 kilometers or, or more sometimes, climb some hills, and at the end, they are still able to uh, have a very hard final. Well, without glycogen, that should not be, would not be possible. So I was wondering, how do these people manage in a long race to, at the end, still have a good final? Because they must have glycogen. And one of the my explanations was that maybe during the easy phases of the race, they may be able to synthesize glycogen in the muscle two fibers, so in the in the fast twitch fibers, because they probably don't use them in, in the lower intensity ex, uh, part of the race. First, I did a study uh, in the United States during my postdoctoral phase, and I showed in rats that they really can synthesize glycogen in the muscle fibers. And then we did the same in humans and also showed that uh, endurance-trained people are able to resynthesize glycogen in the two fibers, two A fibers particularly, two A and two B, during easy exercise, and they can use these fibers in the final. And, um, well, this was something new because at that time in the textbooks this was not possible. And, well, we showed that it was possible. Um, well, there was also one of the exciting and for me personally, a very important paper. Oh, that's very good. I think we'll we'll look up the links and um, and include them with the podcast, so the so the audience can can read them. Thank you. Well, uh, another exciting uh, thing was that well, as an athlete myself, I experienced several times that when I ate something, especially something sweet, before I started exercise, that I often had a hyperglycemia during exercise, which was strange to me because. I could. I had no explanation, and uh, I also published a paper on the rebound hyperglycemia, and could show that especially in endurance-trained people, they are more prone to develop a hyperglycemia during exercise when they take some uh, carbohydrate before the race. Well, it's a combination of some things. Uh, when you take carbohydrate in the resting state, insulin goes up. Um, as soon as you exercise. Uh, well, if the ex insulin is still high, the clearance of glucose to the blood is increased, enhanced, and also endurance-trained people have a high insulin sensitivity, so the clearing of insulin of, or of glucose goes even faster. And the counter-regulation, which is the, the sympathetic system, well, in endurance-trained people, uh, they usually have a dominant parasympathetic system, and the sympathetic system is, is usually activated only at, at very high stress levels. And we could show that um, in, in endurance-trained people that you should not take glucose at least 30 minutes before the race starts. Uh, otherwise, you would end up with the possible hyperglycemia. And we, we could show some of the mechanisms why uh, endurance-trained people can develop a hyperglycemia. That was also an exciting paper. Well, it was mainly... Uh, that my inspiration was that I, I was suffering myself from hyperglycemia uh, very often. Yeah, and I I think I, I read in your book that you have used yourself as a as a yeah kind of subject. Yeah. Well, most of my research I did was basically 
based on my own experience. Over training studies, I've been overtrained uh, as an elite athlete. Uh, muscle damage, well, I, I suffered a lot of muscle damage during speed skating training. Uh, hypoglycemia, I often suffered from hypoglycemia because I didn't know how to eat at the right time, etc. So most of the, my research and even the best papers I published were based on my own experience. Yeah, but that was great that you were in the position to, to actually do uh, do that research. And yeah. I think yeah. we yeah, I think we uh, we have to move to um to the the final topics and I really want to ask this question because you have been a member of the medical commission of the IOC for more than 10 years, which is something that not very many people in this world can say. What is your most memorable experience of that period? Well, memorable memorable was that, that we usually had our meetings during Olympic Games. Uh, which was an ideal combination uh, because during Olympic Games, all the people from all other committees were there, so it was very efficient to meet there. And, uh, well, another op uh, advantage was that we could see something about the Olympics itself. So it was, that was a very good experience. So I have uh, seen both in Atlanta in 1996, uh, uh, in Nagano in 1998, and so more Olympic Games. It was, was very, that was very exciting and very efficient because we usually had efficient meetings uh, because if we had to ask somebody uh, about some topic, well, that person was also there, and uh, that worked fine. Yeah, I can, I can see that that must have been a great experience. And then the, the final question that I have for you, what are the three most significant changes that have occurred during your lifetime, if you, if you look back? Uh, well, one of the major things is uh, the computer, because when my first paper was typed on a typewriter, was literally uh, paste, cut and paste uh, after review. Well, there was a major breakthrough, the, the occurrence of the computers. Um, another thing also in, in, in um, presenting things was the, the coming of, uh, of PowerPoint. Because uh, in my in the first years I was with slides and there was well if I had some lectures on the row and I was traveling I had a whole pile of uh, slides with me well with PowerPoint I think it was a major breakthrough in in teaching um, so these are just a few examples of major changes that made life a lot easier yeah. and and well one of the other things uh, well it's also the coming of the WADA. So when I started in the IOC, IOC was responsible of the whole doping uh, management. Well, when WADA came, uh, independent worldwide organization, I think uh, it also has been a change to the good. Well, I was not uh, happy with, let's say, the, the criteria for, uh, for, for uh, doping, because there were three criteria and you had to meet two. And it occurred that uh, some substances on the list were not performance enhancing, but still on the list. Well, I, I just read the draft code for uh, the new the new draft code from WADA, and to my surprise, and also I was happy to see that now the proposal is that performance enhancements is now the first criterion, which I think is very good. It makes uh, will make life easier for the future. Yeah, and I think it will be much easier for many people to to understand. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, Harm, thank you so much for for your time on this. It's, uh, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to seeing you soon again at a nice conference. Okay, you're welcome.
For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.